You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Friday the 29th of April, coming to you from the Rowley Mile for the first of three days of the Kipco Guineas Festival. The first time this festival has been three days officially since 2003. Quality and quantity are long tomorrow where they're short today. And declarations have just come through for Sunday's Kipco 1000 Guineas where a field of 14 has been declared and no notable absentees. More of that in a few moments' time. Lydia Hislop is with me today. We are at a Baltic Roly Mile. You can tell it's not May, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, whenever it's cold elsewhere, it is a couple of degrees colder at Newmarket, isn't it? Why is that? Oh, I don't know. And the east wind is whistling round the Millennium Grandstand. And we're going to try and work out this year's Kipco 2000 and 1000 guineas. With the Colts Classic, Lydia, it's that classic old school blue on blue, the dark blue of Coolmore and the royal blue of Godolphin. Can Godolphin get the guineas right this year with Native Trail and Caribus? Yeah, I, th- I think they can. It's been interesting what the draw's done to them. They've been drawn on the on the two extremes. So Caribus is one of 15, Native Trail 15 of 15. It does mean that they're closely attended by a Ballydoyle horse, each of them. Point Lonsdale in 11, Luxembourg in four. Um, looking for where the pace might be, Royal Patronage will, will go forward, you would think, in six. Dubawi legend, I was thinking he might, he might go forward, but your indications are that that might not be the case. Yeah, let's just have a listen to what Hugo Palmer said when I talked to him a little bit earlier on today about Dubawi legend and whether he might just get out in front like he did in the Dewhurst. Yeah, it is just an assumption. Obviously, I'm not going to ride him, so it's going to be up to Tom what he does. But um, it wasn't the plan in the Dewhurst and just no one wanted to go on. Um, and it rather lit him up. And as we saw in the, um, in the, in the Breeders' Cup from a, admittedly a bad draw, but he got lit up. He got his tongue over the bit and, and sort of pulled any realistic chance he might have had away in that race. So, um, you know, the horse is a very fast horse with, with a great turn of foot. So we hope to be able to ride him to, to use that turn of foot and change of gear rather than, than doing it all at once. And that piece of work on the Roly Mart, again, look good to the naked eye. Is there any context that you can give to actually put some meat on the bones? Well, it was a very solid piece of work. Tom Markand had ridden him three weeks previously in a, in a race course gallop at Wilverhampton. Um, he'd been pleased with him at Wolves and was over the moon with how much the horse had jumped forward since uh, that first bit of work. And he's come forward again since uh, at home. I mean, a piece of work is just that. And there's no point in training partners being pushed once they're beaten by a group one horse. But, um, you know, he had two lead horses that day, um, Bassett, who's um, a, a good a good lead horse, and uh, Power of States, who's rated in the high 90s or mid 90s. Um, and they went a very, very strong gallop and he finished out well. But it was, you know, it was a training session. It wasn't a race. Um, so it's quite difficult to put, to put meat on the bones of what happened. But the main thing is that jockey and therefore trainer were very happy. So they'll try and be a little bit more restrained with Dubawi legend. A point Lonsdale, Frankie Dottori riding for Aidan O'Brien, that to me screams just allow him to bowl. But of course, the last thing Wiley Aiden wants is to provide Charlie Appleby with a pacemaker for Native Trail. 
I don't think there can be any funny business here because, you know, Godolphin have got two strong ones drawn on either side. Ballydoyle, Aidan, has got two strong ones drawn on either side. I think it's just going to be a, a straight-up who, who's the best horse here. Right, so no, don't overcomplicate this. I think so. I mean, there could be a, a draw issue if they split into two groups. We've got no control over that. We don't know whether that's going to happen. Who's the best horse who's going to win? Well, Native Trail is the best horse, and he is considerably so. And he handled the conditions here really well when winning the Craven. He had hit a little bit of a flat slot, is, is, and that is what he does. And I suppose the big question here is whether, uh, with what we assume is a bit faster ground, but we'll find out more today, uh, whether that might compromise him at all. OK, so Native Trail, there's a, just a tiny issue if the ground is really quick. But we've talked about the leg changing before mm-hmm. and how it's perceived that that is actually not an issue as regards the ground or the undulations. It's just a, a bit of an idiosyncrasy that he tends to do it a lot. Yes, he does. I suppose the, qu- the question is, the only problem comes is if he does it when he's just in the wrong position and another horse gets the run on him. That's the only scenario, really. OK, so we know about Caribus. The issue with him is whether they can get him suitably switched off and harness what is being talked up as quite a sort of hot tendency, no matter what we've seen on the track. Yes, and uh, clearly the, it's weird that the run where he was possibly most impressive was the one in which he got defeated in the Royal Lodge um, behind Royal Patronage. Since has come out and won over the course and distance himself, he hasn't had the benefit of a run this season. Um, instead, he galloped on the morning that Native Trail won the Craven Stakes. Um, he has that flash of brilliance it's just whether he can actually put all that together in in group one company particularly when you're coming up against a stable companion who's proved it again and again and again there's just so many horses you can like in the race and the unbeaten luxembourg has been talked up of course by by aiden o'brien and looked deeply impressive last year ryan moore chooses to ride him over point lonsdale or that's what we think anyway frankie dottori has been put on enough guineas winners by aiden o'brien now <laughs> will perfect power stay and then there's a whole raft of horses that you, you could consider conceivably improve having shown a bit of star quality is there one that's jumping off the page at you that you want to have a bet on at a price I'll be honest, no. Um, but I am really interested in this race. You've, you've mentioned there's lots of, of d- different angles into this and horses that, that might, be, might be sprinters later on in the season and horses that are um, just coming through and maturing as opposed to a horse like Native Trail who's carried it all before him as a two-year-old. You know, the cliche is, of course, that this is the last two-year-old race of the season, the Guineas. Um, so there will be some horses in here that are going to be improving fast. And I'm interested in Eden after his really good win in the field and stakes. That should be... I mean, I, I would be fearing him, I think, as a horse that's coming forward fast. And I suspect that light infantry will improve quite a bit on his two-year-old uh, year as well. It's just a question of whether he can transfer that soft ground form. Yeah, I didn't think he necessarily loved the soft ground at Newbury when I you saw him win. I thought he might have won in spite of it, okay. but this is a completely different ball game. Interested that they've kept him sort of under wraps for it. And I agree with you with Eden. A check and challenge was very impressive at, at Newcastle, but it's his first time on turf. Well, well, funny, I mean, I was going to throw in check and challenge because in terms of profile and progressiveness, he's, he's really interesting. I, I think, I mean, whilst I, I think the Native Trail has got a very, very high level of form for them to all to aim at, there are some horses bubbling under here who could just burst through. At Mays, we understand how important our outdoor spaces are. That's why we've developed luxury outdoor furniture collections to suit all homes. Browse our range at maysliving.co.uk. Yeah, in association with our friends at Mays Outdoor Living, we've been profiling some really memorable Guineas winners this week. I'll take you back this time to 
1992. Yes, can it really be 30 years ago that Lester Piggott was winning his final classic? This was after his comeback to the saddle, of course, well into his 50s. Uh, aboard Rodrigo de Triano for uh, Peter Chappelheim, who at the time I think was probably about half Leicester's age and was uh, an up-and-coming trainer. I think you'd up and come by that point, hadn't you, Pete? Probably not, no. No, <laughs> it, I'd win a couple of group ones a year before, obviously, thanks to Rodrigo and Doctor, but I suppose to win a Guinness, I haven't been able to do it since. I mean, what? I've been second and thirds, but no, no winning. Apart from in Ireland and France, but I mean, can, can you can you remember how you sort of thought about the game? Then you had these these beautiful horses. You were going in there with a, a great crop of classic colts. I mean, did you at any point think, well, hang on a minute, I've got this absolutely nailed? No, not at all. I probably was a little bit more aggressive with the horses then than I am now. Now I, I, I get very. I, I, <clears throat> I've been through a lot of problems in my life, uh, but. Uh, I suppose I'm not as hard on them as I used to be. Guys, it's an interesting point, that, because people talk about training horses for a, for a guineas. You, you obviously have to be quite brave, don't you, to get them to absolute concert pitch for the first Saturday in May. You do, definitely. And that's really why I gave him a run in the Greenham. And it was soft ground, which I knew he didn't like, but I knew I had to run him because I couldn't get him. I know he wasn't a big horse, but he took quite a bit of graft and I couldn't quite get him thick enough. So I ran him, and I remember Willie rode him, Carson. You know, Willie's like he comes in and just throws the reins over his head. And his first words to me was, his engine's gone, he was a two-year-old. And I went, OK. <laughs> we always used to stop in the John O'Gorn in Hungerford with Mick, uh, with Mick Shannon and Richard Hannon. I used to leave early because they were a bit better than me. And uh, <clears throat> Hannon said, do we just get on with it, boy? So I did. I was always going to. Uh, but his lead horse was also called Ecliptic, who I got off Jack Berry, who'd been running over five furlongs, and he won the mile and a quarter handicap with Franny Norton on, claiming, I think, five, that's how long ago it was, by something like 12 lengths. He pulled him up at the furlong pole. So I thought, well, no, and he'd been murdering him, so I thought, no, I, I must be okay here. And by the time you get to Newmarket, you then suddenly, you're a six-to-one shot, so you, the, guilt, the guilt's gone off the gingerbread a little bit since that brilliant yes. two-year-old campaign. But you've got you've got a guy who knows how to win classics on your side in the in the comeback um, resurgent Lester Piggott. Uh, that that must have been a bit of a pinch yourself moment when Piggott walks out in the Sangster silks and you leg him up in the guineas. No, it does. Yeah, yeah, it did, did definitely because I I didn't do that much with him between the time, but I did give him a proper gallop uh, at Manton there, and he worked superb. And I thought he's ready. Let's go. And my only words to Lester were was just bide your time. And the only word he said back to me was, they won't even see me coming. And, and why do you think he was so confident? Uh, because he, he'd, he'd seen his two-year-old form. And for some reason, Lester actually thought I could was all right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I didn't uh, <laughs> mince my words like I do now. If they're good, they're good. If they're bad, they're bad. Well, he was very good, and he was very good on the day. He won by a really, really tidy, cosy length and a half, and, and it was a, just a beautiful ride from Leicester. It was, yeah. He didn't pull him out to the last minute, and just away he went, yeah. How did he end up... I mean, obviously, we know his association with Robert Sangster went back years, and yeah, if, if, you, if you anyone paints a picture of Piggott, they've always got him in those green, white, and blue silk, so it's not a surprise he rode the horse. But um, did you know at the beginning of the season it was likely that you'd end up having to have him on the horse because of Carson's associations with, with Shadwell? 
Not, not really, because like Leicester was wasn't even in the picture, if you know what I mean. Uh, <coughs> and uh, after, after sort of Willie said what he said at Newbury, which was understandable. Uh, he was obviously riding for Hamdan then, so I had to find another jockey. And I, to be honest with you, I was seriously struggling. I tried Walter, uh, John Reed, everyone, and then uh, I just called up Robert and I said, "Look." I believe I've got the horse right. I think he just needs someone with good hands-on just to relax him to start with, and Lester's the perfect man. All he's got to do is steer him. And I don't suppose he took an awful lot of persuasion, did he? He did for a little bit, yeah. Did he? What, because he thought he was kind of over the hill and gone? He said to me, he's slightly, slightly... Because Dean Robert's words to me was, do you know how old he is, Peter? It's old enough to be your father, nearly. Like, yeah, I know. But <laughs> I said he's... He knows more about the game than I'll ever know. And, I, uh, and that's what Lily and Roberts said. Go on, go for it then. We've got nothing to lose. Um, you could have a winner on the Rolly Mile this weekend. Uh, Fast Medicine, I thought, looked pretty pretty good last time. Yeah, I had this. I saw this race, obviously, early entries, and I thought, I've got a plan for this horse. I'm going to win with him and then try and get in. But I didn't expect him to win like he did, and <coughs> I may have choked on my cigarette watching it thinking just take a pull yeah but you know he's a he's he loves fast ground he's strengthened up a lot since last year he's, he's got every chance yeah create your outdoor living moments with maze shop online at mazeliving.co.uk trainer peter chapel Hyam there an amazing story Lester Piggott riding Rodrigo de Triano to win the the 2000. I can't believe it was 30 years ago. I know, I know. Oh, oh dear. Um, but I can't believe that he needed, uh, that Robert Sanks needed <laughs> persuading to put Lester Piggott on. But doesn't that tell you quite a lot about why Robert Sangster was uh, successful in life? Because he was not prepared to lean on past sentiment. It was, yeah, he's, he's, he's an old has-been now. Yeah, absolutely. It does say a lot about that. And it is, it's single-mindedness. And yeah, I, I, I agree with that, yeah. But Rodrigo de Triano, it was great. I remember being here and, and watching him, and he, that was a superb day. You talked a little bit earlier on about how it was considered that the, the Guineas, that old cliche of last two-year-old race of the season, it's one that we've heard from. Um, it's one that we've heard from John Gosden a, a few times, and sadly he couldn't get in spiral to the to the one thousand Guineas. Go to the Heron Stakes on route to the Coronation Stakes. It chucks it open, makes it quite a good betting race with fourteen. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a wide open race. So I was in the context of Inspiral no longer being here. I went back over the Phillies Mile. I was wondering whether Prosperous Voyage has ended up being an overlooked horse. I just feel that the, the horses that finished behind Inspira were just blown away that day. And so is there a horse that is able to, to do that? So I started looking through the French form and I've ended up really liking Zelly. And I'm not convinced that she's going to need cut in order to be at her best. I mean, Andre Farber will know what he's, going to, he's expecting coming over here to Newmarket. And there's something about her that I particularly like. It's interesting that Tom Marquand has been booked. And uh, yeah, I was looking towards, towards her. I thought her start in the Imprudence was really really, really good. Uh, reportedly, people who were there said that she needed the run, carrying quite a bit of condition, and she ran like that. Isn't it important, don't you think, that we get two or three real top-notch, sort of pan-European, yeah. French-trained yeah. three-year-olds who are excelling in England and Ireland this year? Because we know that the French breeding industry is robust. We know their prize money is great. OK, the workers might strike occasionally, but hey, it's France. <laughs> um, we need some good horses out of France. Yeah. 
We, we definitely do. And it would, be, it would be good to see these two fillies run, run really strongly. They're up against Tenebrism, clearly, who's got to prove whether, whether she stays or not after her win on just her second start months apart when winning the Cheveley Park last season. I, I, was, I thought probably just about whether it would be her optimum, less sure. Uh, they don't, I think, want any rain. Just mm. all speed, isn't she? Mm. Um, uh, out of Immortal Verse, who was a very good miler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Caravaggio stamina index seems to be greater than than, than we thought. Yeah, that's that's the bit that is an, still is slightly imponderable for me at, at this level. But, but let's see. I mean, I'm not completely against the idea that she will. There is a small doubt in my mind whether it will prove her absolute best. Her stable companion is interesting as well, isn't she? Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, who is a full sister to Minding, the multiple Group One winner, and Empress Josephine, who won the Irish Guinness. And sometimes it's just a question of find the Guinness pedigree, and and you get the winner. Um, speaking of that, Zelly, of course, is closely related to Speciosa, as we heard from Pam Sly earlier in the week, and so is Mise-en-Scene, who was behind uh, in spiral in that Phillies mile as well. That is the Guineas on Sunday, the Kipco 1000 Guineas. So that was uh, a look at the 1000 Guineas on Sunday. It would not surprise me one bit if in 2025 I'm talking about a daughter of Frankel out of Somidar running in the 1000 Guineas. She was one of a, a number of absolutely beautiful foals that I met uh, at Watership Down on Monday, continuing our series behind the scenes at one of the world's uh, most beautiful stud farms in the company of uh, Terry Doherty, Connor Chapman and Simon Marsh. Last time I came to Watership Down, I saw what is now a yearling by Frankel out of Sobe Dar. I thought it was probably about the nicest fold I'd ever seen. This is the full sister um, who's not been long born. And you just look at her out in a field of, what have we got here, half a dozen mares and foals? And yeah, five mares and foals, Connor's just correcting me. And Simon, she's got so much presence. You can spot her a mile off. You walk into the field, there she, there she is. She was, she was getting her near four and tapping on her mum's wither, saying, get up and feed me. Yeah, I know. She's an absolute cracker. And this mare, you know, her last three foals have been really exceptional. She had a See the Stars yearling last year that made a lot of money um, at the sales. And she's got, as, as you say, she's got this fantastic... Uh, full brother to this foal, um, which is a yearling which will go to the sales, um, God willing, um, this year. And um, and then she's got this fantastic filly foal, which is which is what we want because this filly we'll retain, and she'll go into training, and um, ultimately, hopefully, we'll come back here to become a broodmare. Um, the mare is going back to Frankfurt again this year for the third time, um, and. Reasoning behind that, we've sent actually quite a lot of mares to Frankel. Um, Why wouldn't you, frankly? Yeah, and, and the, you know we we were very very um, lucky to have um, to have used Dubawi a lot, and so we've got a lot of Dubawi mares, and the Dubawi Frankel cross is is working incredibly well. And she didn't get in full first time this time. Is she normally one that takes a couple of goes or is she trying to tell you something or what do you do? No, it's just one of those things. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're animals, they're not machines. And um, Frankel is incredibly fertile as a stallion. Um, so she's, she was, um, she's now kind of about 19 days and we'll follow her through and she'll come back in season and then she'll be covered again. I mean, she's only been covered once so far this season and um, uh, hopefully she'll get in full next time. We were talking about Dare Me, Terry never missed in a, in a season. That's pretty unusual, isn't it? I mean, normally would they, they, they sort of give themselves a bit of a break? Yeah, it, it's quite common for a mare to have uh, a break 
for one reason or another, if they don't grow in fall and, and, and there's some problem, uh, it is quite common. And so it is very rare for a male like Tyrone to go every year. And we've been waiting for the last five years for her to say, this is the year I'm having a break. Yeah. We just keep getting lucky. And presumably there can be all sorts of physiological and psychological factors at play there. There's lots of different factors. I mean, quite often uh, post-foaling the mare, we'll, we'll swab the mare um, and she may have a dirty swab. If she's got a dirty swab, we have to treat her. If she's clean and tightens up, a lot of the uterus has got to go from the size of these foals back to the yeah. size of a, a melon within 48 hours or so. So that structure has got to go back. But if there's fluid in there, say the mare gets up quite early and leaves a bit of fluid behind from foaling, the fluid's got to be expelled in one way or another. It can't stay there. Uh, so we'll flush the mares quite often. So we'll put in saline and then suck it back out, yeah. clean them up. Um, <laughs> so there are different reasons. But, but the, the thing is, the mare releases an egg sperm meets egg and if it doesn't work it doesn't work there's exactly. not much you can do about uh, it exactly that, that little blastocyst floating around there's only there's only so much you can fiddle around with nature isn't there this i'm being nibbled by a wooden basset cult out of the fugue <laughs> but he's um he's he's quite a striking chap isn't he he's a lovely cult he's very strong he's quite strong because the fuse she wasn't the strongest fall herself she was quite narrow and slight um but he's he's got some shoulder he's a lovely shape he is. I mean, he's fifth of March. He's, he's tall enough, isn't he? He's plenty big enough. There is no, no, no. You'd be delighted with him. You'd have to be delighted. Can with him. I? Can, can I have him then? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> he has to pay my wages. You're in trouble. <laughs> Well, as you'll be well familiar now, it has been breeze-up sail time. The last significant breeze-up staging post, the Guinea Sail, this week ahead of the Colts and Phillies Classic. Uh, Jason Singh from Tattersalls is with us. And, of course, a reminder that uh, Tattersalls were lucky enough to sell both Native Trail and Cache last year, which we featured quite heavily on the on the podcast. Jason, what have been the key news stories out of this week's Guinea Sail? Morning, Nick. Um, yeah, it's been. A, I think it's been a really strong sail. Over the last, uh, over you are yesterday, and we had the breeze on Tuesday. Um, you mentioned those good horses from the the Craven that sort of drove the drove the results in that sale, and and the Guineas has been lucky enough to have Trushan as its flag bearer over the last couple of years, as well as the Grade One winner Shantasara in America. So results again driving the results in the uh, sale ring. Which is fantastic. The the sale over yesterday was really good. Uh, record turnover for the breeze section. Record turnover for the horses in training section. Record even record equaling median for the for the breeze up. So everybody, I think, has to be very happy. Uh, who is going to be happiest? Do you think? Well, once again, and a name that we've come used to saying both on the race course and in the, the sail ring, Tallyho Stud, the O'Callaghan family, still just doing fantastic work. The uh, leading consigner yesterday, they were the leading consigner at the uh, Craven Breeze Up Sale. They were the leading consigner yesterday and the sail topping lot yesterday, a time test cult um, bought by Michael O'Callaghan for 160000 Once again, another great result and a great pinhook for them they they bought that horse for 65,000 guineas at book three of the October yearling sale so they uh, will be celebrating once again 
the great pin hooks, of course, always give everyone a warm, fuzzy feeling, unless you were on the wrong end of them in the first place. But even then, you've probably got a relative to one, so you'd be pretty happy. Um, turning turning base metal into gold is always is always satisfying. Uh, who did best in that regard yesterday, or what was the most n- notable pin hook? Yeah, there was a there was a, a, a great story right at the towards the end of the evening with uh, a Autad filly out of Hawafez whose half sister. Uh, Rogue Millennium had won at Weatherby on Sunday. That gave the horse a really nice update. This was uh, Philly bought by RMM Bloodstock, which is Robbie Mills. Uh, you may know here his parents, Chris and Leslie Mills, who've raced some nice sprinters with Ray Guest. Robbie bought this Philly for 2,000 guineas at the Tattersall's December yearling sale. He turned that into 110,000 guineas yesterday when Phil Cunningham bought the, the filly, which is the stuff of dreams, really. That's some proper work. Well done to him. And and Rogue Millennium, you mentioned, Tom Clover now trains that horse for um, Fantastic Syndicate. 35,000 guineas uh, she cost. A beautifully bred Dubawi out of the Shadwell dispersal at your sale at the back end of last November, officially called the December Mayor's Sale. So um, that's pleasing to see. We always look back on those, don't we, Jason, and think, how on earth did they get a Dubawi Philly bread like that for 35 grand? But it's easy for us to say in hindsight, if we were that clever, we'd all be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they they do, as, as you said, We it's one of those things I went and had a look at her, look at her looked at her physical, thought, gosh, she looks fantastic. She's a Dubawi Philly. Uh, I think the, the Rogues Gallery, great bunch of owners. I think they're all going to be pinching themselves. And, you know, well done to Billy Jackson Stops, who bought that for Tom Clover. And uh, and the rogues gallery guys. So uh, yeah, hopefully they'll have some a lot of fun with her. Uh, that was a look back at what happened uh, at Tattersall Sales this week. Uh, Lydia is still with me. It's quite quite an interesting little betting story potentially brewing. Uh, you have to be quite tuned in to the kind of warp and weft of the betting ring to understand it. But I'm, we're getting there, I think. Yeah. Well, Simon, I was interested by a, a tweet from Simon Knott on Twitter, and he said, and I quote. I'm hearing that AGT have lost their betting ring contract to partnership of RDT and BritBet. Massive shock to the on-course bookmakers, and I assume the BRMs. Has anyone else heard anything? <laughs> now, obviously, this sounds like something from Line of Duty. <laughs> it really I had no idea what AC12 <laughs> think about this fella, but I, I've rung Simon, who's done an excellent interview with Patrick Veach this week mm. on his website. Go and have a look at that if you haven't already. And I asked him to explain it all. We got there in the end. The AGT is the uh, company that has been put together, it sort of used to be the NJPC, to administer the sort of fair play of the betting ring and where, where the people who bought the pitches are supposed to be and, and so forth. Um, it, it seems as though the consortium that the bookmakers have now sought to put in their place, though it hasn't happened yet, is a, a mashup between RDT, and now they're the people in the red jackets yes. that you see on the race course, yeah, yeah. who uh, help the bookmakers out with their tech, uh, and and sort of recording the SPs and that sort of thing, so they um, I'm told are sort of entering into an alliance with Britbet, who is the racecourse owned arm of the Tote, who operate the horse race totalizer board on a racecourse. And I said, Simon, well, well, kind of so what? So what difference? And he said, Well, 
he thinks, and there is a view, that because Britbet have kind of quite opportunistically, and I would say quite cleverly, popped up little bookmaker-style pitches in all sorts of different interesting places around the race course that would attract a novice punter to go and bet there rather than with the bookmakers, that are actually, the bookmakers being the turkeys voting for Christmas here, uh, devolving responsibility or handing responsibility over for sort of where pitches are, the, the administration of the betting ring, to a sort of um, tote body. So at the moment, Britbet could have pitches that racecourse bookmakers Correct. couldn't. Correct. So where you and I are sitting at the moment in the sort of, I don't know, theoretically, in the second floor of the Millennium Grandstand, they could pop one up on the balcony here, oh. whereas that wouldn't be an available-to-buy pitch for a, for a bookmaker. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. We're going to have to see how this story pans out, but that, it, that is interesting, and now I know a lot more about it than I did before. Well, we'll I be knew to... absolutely nothing about yeah, it. Yeah, well, ditto. And so we'll be able to watch with greater understanding what happens next. And obviously, uh, it's clear, this is, there's no confirmation of this. This, is, this was the hearsay at Chepstow yesterday, mm-hmm. but it's been going around for a few days, and uh, it is expected that there'll be some sort of announcement to that effect today, apparently. Okay, okay. well, let's see and react accordingly. Yeah. We're just continuing on the bloodstock theme, and there's always a bit of a hullabaloo around this time of year as to which first season stallion is doing best. You know, which stallion's out of the blocks quickest with his with his first crop of two year olds. And sometimes we overlook the ones. Well, actually, they've been around a year. How are they training on? How are they doing as sophomore stallions? And what's the likely longevity of their career going to be? Well, just looking at the table at the moment. Um, it's Ribchester leading the way on nine, Zarak, Kotai, Glory on seven, Churchill six, Caravaggio four with a claim, and three, Ardad, who had such an amazing year last year, Alwakare, Ulysses is coming, Galileo, Gold, Birchwood, Johnny Barnes, Counterattack, and Luzo Canarias of European second crop size. I thought I'd try and drill down a little bit and see whether Ribchester could continue this, this good run of success, which is sort of headlined by his very good uh, American filly, Ruthine, who you remember from last year, and she won at Keeneland earlier in the year, and it's probably Royal Ascot bound for Wesley Ward, the man who bought Ribchester as a as a foal, uh, pinhooked him as a foal, is, is Jamie Railton, um, uh, who's with me now. Uh, Jamie, it must be fascinating for you to see the way a horse's career um, carries on, not just as a racehorse, but then subsequently as a as a stallion. Um, yes, he, he, the horse has been very lucky in that he's always been in very good hands. Um, we were fortunate enough to stumble across him um, as a foal at Goffs. Uh, and I clearly remember him now um, standing there. He was he was bred by uh, Con Marnain's head man. Uh, so we bought him as a foal. Um, he was then raised at the Irish National Stud, looked after by an exceptional group of people on great land. Um, we then took him back to Goff's Orby Sale, uh, where he was bought by a very good judge, uh, Bobby O'Ryan, for a lucky owner. Emma, Emma Armstrong, um, and then he went to Richard Fahiwa, who managed him exceptionally well. And um, he then got bought by Godolphin. So all the way through, he's had excellent uh, management. And he now stands at um, a very good stud farm. And it's of no surprise to me um, that, um, that they're training on a serials. You know, logically, why wouldn't they? Um, we've been very fortunate selling horses to um, Bobby and Richard, and a previous one was Wooden Bassett. And so, what are the common denominators between <coughs> Ribchester and Wooden Bassett? Absolutely. Apart from, apart from both being sold by Jamie Rail Sales Agency, apart from that, um, they're both by Ifraj. So, I wonder whether 
um, that Mr. Prospector Gone West line is a line that we need to take very seriously going forward. And obviously, John Magna thought so because he bought Wooden Bassett. Absolutely. And, and Ribchester, as we've, we're saying, is flying as, as leading uh, sophomore stallion by, by numbers. Uh, just take yourself back, try and shut your eyes, remember him as a foal. Um, what did you like about him? He was um, always a very appealing horse, great colour, good balance to and good substance. Um, and he grew up to be a more manly version than he was as a foal. Um, as I say, he was very, horse is very fortunate. He was very well managed all the way through. Um, but no, very likeable. And, you know, why wouldn't they train on to be better three-year-olds? Jamie Railton there, the man who pinhooked Ribchester as a foal. It's Friday, which means, of course, it is time to consider the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings in the company of James Willoughby, who will be along just after I have read you this week's top 10. They're all quite tightly clustered. It's sort of a bit of a, a, a land grab at the moment at the, at the top, but a, a deserving new number one. Here we go. 10, Hot Rod Charlie, up one. Nine is Animo, um, also up one for Australia. Eight is Very Elegant, also goes up one, announced this week she will not be trained for the Arc de Triomphe. Uh, rather, if she does come to Europe, she's got the rather curious target of the Kipco British Champions Phillies and Mayors race at Ascot in, in October. be interesting to see whether Chris Waller goes through with that. Seven is Euphoria, is down two. Six, Contrail, slip out of the rankings soon, been retired a while now, up two. Five is Zaki, who is up two, all very tightly clustered, this group. Four, uh, steady at four is Nick's go. Three, life is good, is down one, just gently slipping down the rankings. Nature Strip had a little spell at number one and is down one to two. And that is because the prolific Hong Kong trained Golden 60, who may yet head beyond the shores of Hong Kong, is up two to number one following his comprehensive victory at odds on last week. And after that mid-season blip, seems to have got himself back on track. Uh, James Willoughby, he spent a long, long time at numbers two, three, four, five and elsewhere. <laughs> Finally, finally. Am I damning him with faint praise saying it's by default that he's finally landed at number one? Well, he's an extremely worthy racehorse, Nick, but here are the facts and figures. He, his victory last week in the Champions Mile, worth a rating of 125, it's less than we, we, we rank his best effort. There's the Hong Kong Mile, remember that, in, uh, in 2020. He was wildly impressive in that. He got 127. These are kind of historically quite low. But he now has 11 performances, we rate as 120 or higher. So he's done it by aggregation and finally got to number one whilst others have fallen by the, by the wayside. He's now won 15 races, Golden 60 has, we consider a group class, including seven at group one level from 17 tries. And he becomes the 18th different horse to be world number one since our classifications began in 2014. And that's in 434 weeks of rankings. So he's the 18th different world number one. And the top three horses that spent their time at number one are Winks, 162 weeks, Enable, 56 weeks, and American Pharaoh, 42 weeks. And just for the reason world number ones have been Nature Strip, who's number three now, uh, turn number two now, Life is Good, who's number three, and then Nick's Go, who's still in the rankings, even though he's been retired, just because there's a 150-day lag before horses are removed. And then before that, St. Mark's Basilica and Palace Pier. But the point here that you've already touched on is that the top 10 are very tightly clustered and Golden 60's current portfolio of performances is worth 2,066 ranking points. Now, consider this. World number ones have ranked from 
2,796 to 2,035, with the median being 2,408. So therefore, at the moment, the current era of TRC global rankings, top tens, and in particular number one, is relatively low historically. And this has never been a more volatile position than the one we experience today. And of course, I, I hear Europhiles saying, well, that's because the best European racing hasn't started yet. And these uh, Eastern frauds are just marking time before the, <laughs> before, before the Baids. And, and maybe if, you know, if, if, if Charlie Appleby's um, yeah. native trail goes and wins the Guineas impressively, then he slides into the top 10. And then it's just a relentless march like it was for St. Mark's Basilica last year. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair enough. It's just that we lack you know, two or three of the all-time greats that you tend to see at the top of the world at the moment. So the bar is relatively low, but as I pointed out on previous editions, there's a lot of um, strength in depth there. So it is still going to take a really good European horse to penetrate the very top of the charts. Can Bailly do it? Well, yes, he, he definitely has the portfolio, William Haggis's uh, top-notch miler from last year. But it all is there to be played for. It's going to be a very interesting European season. We need some definition at the moment. We need to see some horse step forward and put up the kind of performance that, you know, we've seen from the uh, Nick's goes, the life is goods and the nature strips in Australia. These are very, very uh, solid horses indeed. And the latest one of them, Golden 60, I would say fully deserves his position as world number one through the fact that he's been so consistent and, and tough and talented out there in Hong Kong. And thanks to James. And talking of Hong Kong... Uh, it is a Whirlpool weekend this weekend at Newmarket, Guineas uh, Saturday and Sunday. Jamie Hart, I think, is on his way back from Punchestown, but uh, just stopping in from the tote to have a quick word. Whirlpool weekend this weekend, Jamie? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's, all, it's just the Saturday. So Saturday is the Whirlpool day. Sunday is a normal day for tote-wise, but Saturday is the really big day for the big pools. We'll probably take about 25 million that day. Okay, and is this growing in the way that you'd hoped and anticipated? Certainly, and I think we were the, the trouble with the whirlpool to get the most money out of it for British racing. We need to get all of the pools working, so we need seven runners in each race. Last year, when on, on Guineas Day, we had quite a few six runner, four, and even a four runner race. This year, they've moved things around a little bit, and we've got much bigger fields across the board, eight good races. We do have one that's dipped under seven, but the rest of them are looking really competitive. It looks like we'll generate some fantastic turnover with Hong Kong and the 20 other countries that are betting into the toe and obviously throwing up these massive price or the massive pools that give you really big value opportunities because the prices are different from the UK market. So you can play against the two. Uh, there's some sort of interesting sort of idiosyncrasies as well in terms of um, people's betting habits and trying to intuit the betting habits of those in other countries in order to garner yourself the best value. Yeah, definitely. You'll see that they'll latch on to a couple of horses. Normally, it's because of the TV coverage over in Hong Kong. So, obviously, they're picking up on overseas racing. They won't have the kind of background knowledge they do of their domestic products. So, they'll just be going on what they hear very, very recently. So, if, if there's a TV coverage that covers two horses in depth they'll be the ones that get backed off the boards that then pushes everything else out to a big price over here so watch out for that okay thanks to all my guests today on what's been a jam-packed show lydia is still with me it's a three-day meeting again this new market meeting so you kind of have to cut a bit of slack on that regard but where the fields tomorrow are great it's um 
slim old pickings today. It really is. At the time of recording, we have one race that has full each way betting. Um, and there's one race that's all up to win. Um, that is the listed Newmarket stakes. I think that Newmarket will be disappointed in this. If we think back to this time last year, the field sizes weren't actually great across the Guinness meeting full stop. So they put some in particular investment into the Saturday and that has certainly paid off. And we'll see if the same happens with Sunday. Um, but... That today is small field sizes, it is unattractive, it does make you think did this meeting need another day? Now, I'm sure that Newmarket had its, had its reasons for doing this, probably connected partly with the Whirlpool as well. Mm. Um, well, Whirlpool, as we've just heard from Jamie Hart, doesn't take effect today, but does tomorrow. Exactly. But as Jamie's just said... Uh, t- today, if they, this would be no good for the Whirlpool today. Well, isn't that why the Jockey Club Stakes is on today, and the Newmarket Stakes is on today? Yeah. Um, you know, that would be that w- that would be the guess that they have they have collected together on Whirlpool days races that they can expect to get better yeah. fields. Yeah. And I think at this time of year, they're probably expecting that they wouldn't get a big field for the Jockey Club Stakes. Albeit, you know, there are other. If you take a Group Two at York, for example, it'd be worth 10, 000, at least ten thousand pounds more than that. And if you take a, a listed race at York, all of them are worth at least eight thousand pounds more. I mean, that, I've just used York as an example because it's on my mind because it's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Mm. Yeah, so, so does it need more investment? Well, there's some food for thought. Yeah. Well, everything needs more investment, doesn't it? But yes, so yes is the answer. It's a question of whether you think the greater investment is going to yield what you want from it. Yes. And, and I don't really know the answer. No, and in terms of the Jockey Club stakes, I wonder whether you can ever really get a much bigger field than that. I, I suppose in terms of depth, it's also maybe disappointing. Would you be mm. slightly disappointed? You've got a proper Group 1 horse there in Yibir who may not love the track, actually, and run style isn't ideal, but he's coming up against horses that probably haven't proved themselves to be up to Group 2 level. So the, the disparity between them and him is huge. Yeah, and they, they'd be struggling to they'd be struggling on the ratings, wouldn't they, without him? 106, 108, 106, 104, 109. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, that's that that could have... It's, it's got enough six, I think, for, for this race, but it's it's not that deep. But the, the new market stakes is really interesting. I'm really looking forward to see what Superstar can win, having won his sole start here last year. Yeah, I think Who Your Mouth sets an OK standard and yeah. it's a too, too big a price. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he might have needed the run last time. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought he ran perfectly adequately with some promise of a bit better. I think it's a good race. I think that, that race is quite open, oh. even though there's only four of them. And other t- little talking points today, a couple of quite interesting Judmont horses. One is uh, by Galileo out of special duty, the twice-promoted uh, classic winner, yes. uh, running for John and Thady Gosden and Benoit Lassay getting the ride on that horse. The other one, Andrew Balding, his first two-year-old for Judmont. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to ask you, was yeah. that here for his yeah, first I'm two-year-old sure for Judmont? Is, yeah. yeah, Martin Dixon and I were chatting in the press room, and he brought it up, and we were both racking our brains to think if we could have uh, could come up with one, and we couldn't. I was down there filming the other day, and I, I just wasn't quick enough on the mark, and I went in the colours room, and I'm like, oh, they're the Judmont colours. <laughs> yeah. Who's that for? Well, yeah. it's for Chasserelle, yeah, who exactly. runs in the first race here, and maybe a few others, I suspect, yeah, yeah. during the course of the season. So that's an interesting addition to their roster. Have you got a tip for me for today? Uh, I have. I haven't gone with today, actually. I've gone with tomorrow. Um, I've gone with Sea King in the 805 at Doncaster. It's a mile and a half, three-year-old handicap, Nick. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> love it to type. Um, will it be to type in the guineas with more success for Aidan O'Brien? Or will, uh, finally, Godolphin get it spot on with either Native Trail or Caribus? And will, be, will we be talking to Charlie Appleby on, uh, on Monday morning? Lydia, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to all my guests. Uh, we will catch you again after the weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, 
and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.